Hi, I'm Philidor. And I'm Clara. And this is a sheep staring at me. A podcast on history, culture, literature, geeky things and life in general. And today we're going to talk about the romantics versus the metaphysicals. Clara, do you want to? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's easier for me to start because the metaphysicals came first. Um, but it's poetry we're talking it's about. poetry. <laughs> well, if anyone's thinking now, what in Blaze's name are they talking about? What are the metaphysical poets? That was me when I heard about them first. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> well, metaphysical poets um, are a group of poets in Britain in the 17th century. What I realized about them is more or less everybody who has delved into British poetry would have heard about one or two of them, but maybe won't have known them under the name metaphysical. Um, and that is mainly because metaphysical poets isn't such a fixed term as I think romantic poets is. The metaphysical, yeah, I mean, the romantics probably weren't writing as romantic poets either. And well, no, it's it's not a fixed fixed term. I mean, it's a fixed term, but it's also a broad thing. So, yeah, yeah. But with the metaphysical poets, uh, opinions differ. There are a couple of people that scholars agree on. Um, it's basically not a fixed term, and the canon is tricky. But what can be said is that they didn't write as metaphysicals and the term was coined later by uh, Samuel Johnson and um, John Dryden. And what can be agreed on that metaphysical poetry is a certain genre of poetry that um, arose as a reaction to Elizabethan poetry. And one big thing they did was use a lot of conceits. That is the big word that always pops up when talking about metaphysical poetry. So um, that is the main thing I'm going to mention here to make clear what is it that sets metaphysical poetry apart from other poetry perhaps. So conceits as in exaggerated comparisons and inventive complex metaphors and puns. That is what the metaphysicals went for, but not in a well, let's say pompous way as Shakespeare did it, but in a very everyday way, but it was still outrageous. It wasn't outrageous because they compared women's eyes to flowers, but it was outrageous because, for example, they compared the blood that a flea had sucked from a man and woman to their sexual union. And that is... Uh, Se sexual union outside of marriage exactly that's the big point i think not not the sexual union bit they did that before but you know they did that before but with the metaphysicals they they took one thing they took a they took b a and b didn't have anything together with each other but they made it happen somehow so it is a clever form of writing um in a more um well, ordinary speech than the Elizabethans did, but that doesn't but, mean it's easy. It's but it's still, it's complex. still very, very condensed. I find it is, yeah. And yeah. and the and 
compared especially to the romantics, um, the metaphysicals, I think, are very, very conscious of form. I mean, the romantics yeah. usually are too, but I mean, a bit concerned about the form of stuff, but um, not like the metaphysicals. I mean, I think there's a po poem that uh, looks like wings and it's about Easter flying. Wings. George Herbert. Yeah, and it, it just, I mean, the romantics didn't do yeah. stuff like that. Even apart from that, I have the feeling, and I didn't get this from a book that is my personal feeling, that the metaphysicals saw poetry more like a puzzle. Um, and they had this form that they wanted to uh, achieve and basically prove that they were really good at writing. Yeah. Um, and they and didn't want to... It was a to... very analytical way of composing, maybe. I can't say that for every one of them. I, I mean, who am I to I mean... judge how they wrote? <laughs> and I think they didn't want to um, publish a lot of it. They just wanted to publish one tome of literature or poetry in their life, and that was it. And preferably after their death. Yeah, a lot of it wasn't published uh, until they died. Um, some had... Um, some had... A, agreed on that with other people that their poetry yeah. will be published after they died. Mostly their, their work was uh, circulated in private, uh, in the private sphere. Yeah. And the romantics are the exact opposite. The romantics made money from it. They, they wanted to make money from it. They wanted to produce as much poetry as they could. Yeah. Um, and other than the metaphysicals, they were about the, I mean, they, probably were more about surviving than about anything else in you know in the first moment but um they did do it out of a feeling they kind of wanted it yeah. to seem like it was you know like they had a feeling and they wrote it down and when you read it it feels that way and um if it's about i don't know a sunny day then it should feel like a sunny day yeah i mean that goes along with what i know of wordsworth isn't he quoted with saying that poetry is a spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings oh dear yes it is but where he he has you know he had said that but in some way but um it was still i mean Poetry is always the performer's art. Yeah. I think if you're not a performer, if you don't like to be listened to, you won't write poetry. I mean, we both write poetry. Yeah. And we do a podcast. We obviously like to be listened to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Wordsworth like to wax poetically but at the end of the day if he didn't have enough money to eat he probably was more bothered about that than a good poem I don't know I think so yes yeah this is just the the one thing that is always quoted of Wordsworth I know I know we yeah I had a whole discussion about that the other day so mm. yeah um yeah, and the, the metaphysicals, they didn't rely on their poetry um, that much. They had, poetry was their side job, I have a feeling. Yeah, but they, they also usually didn't really, I mean, not 
so most of them or a lot of them actually were gentlemen weren't they exactly yeah most of them were gentlemen um, Dunn wasn't, well, half was but half stayed aristocratic their whole life and was in um well some of them were in parliament some of them were gentlemen some of them were priests some of them all or some of those things so yeah, yeah. i mean i think the the one I just mentioned, Dunn, is I think the most famous. As he is, I know um, he is. I think also the earliest. So um, what we have to see with the metaphysicals is that they intersect with Shakespeare. Um, Dunn was born in 1572, died in 1631, so he died very early in the 17th century. Uh, I mean, Shakespeare had had been dead for. 10, 20 years when Dunn died. So they were contemporaries, but they wrote very differently. And Dunn was, well, I'd say he was the first of the metaphysicals because he was also the one that, um, that Samuel Johnson referred to when he said, uh, when he mentioned the term metaphysical the first time. And interestingly enough, metaphysical wasn't meant as a compliment. Um, and Neither was romantic, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so it was meant derisively, and obviously John Donne didn't say, hello, I'm a metaphysical poet. He just wrote poetry, and later yeah. people called him metaphysical. And other people that followed Donne, too. Yeah, but um, on Donne, I actually have... There is a well sort of poem on Dunn's poetry by Coleridge and this just this was the inspiration for this yeah um else we probably wouldn't have connected the two um but to Coleridge um one should know that um he and Wordsworth were the founders of the romantic movement in England so he was one of the first who yeah bring out that kind of stuff and he was a very good friend of Wordsworth as well and he was a member of the Lake Poets and um, he collaborated with a lot of very famous people from his time as well and he said about Don, uh, Dunn's poetry with Dunn whose muse on dromedary trots wraith iron uh, iron pokers into true love knots rhyme sturdy cripple Fancy's maze and clue, wits forge and fire blast, meanings press and screw. Which meanings press and screw? That is a very famous line. Because they're both. What I find funny about it, and I don't know if Coleridge meant this, but they they screw literally, as in um, they are screwed and intertwisted. But you, you, you're laughing, you know what I'm getting at. Dan also writes a lot about sex and what is another word and, for sex? Screw. And, and spiritual stuff about that. And basically um, what Coleridge did here was he used the um, sort of the metaphysical kind of style to write something to say, yeah, you're shit. <laughs> <laughs> guys just nah 
And, um, you know, I, we had the course on Dunn and the other metaphysicals and we did, I don't know how many weeks on Dunn. It was a lot. Um, and we were complete, I mean, it was more than the others. And it was, I mean, my comment to that was just, I'm undone now. <laughs> and that's a comment that he brought too. Yeah, he would have liked that. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, I agreed with Coleridge while we had to read Done. It was just so much. Yeah. So do you want to introduce some of the metaphysicals very uh, very quickly because yeah, let, let's quickly go over them um as i said it's not fixed to exactly the metaphysicals were generally one can agree on a couple um well one thing i have to add is that the term metaphysical was coined by johnson in a work called life of cowley abram cowley is also called one of the metaphysicals I will not mention him a lot because, frankly, no, <laughs> I don't like his poetry that much. Um, interesting, but to me, it sounds dry. Um, I'll start with John Donne um, because I also think he's one of the names that a lot of people recognize, albeit not always under the term metaphysical. Um, so he is, I would say, the most famous of the metaphysicals and published, well, actually not published, circulated um, poems such as The Flea, um, A Valediction Forbidding Morning, just in case that means anything uh, to you. Um, I mean, to me, it means something, but yeah, I don't know to whom else. <laughs> it was one of those poems where I thought, oh, you have heard the title somewhere. Um, but I have never read it before. Well, I've read it now, but yeah. at the time where I heard about Dunn first, it's one of those faint recollections. <laughs> um, well, his main work was called Holy Sonnets, which was a collection of sonnets published posthumously and circulated in manuscripts before. Um, and in those he wrote about the psychological realism of love, sexuality, uh, the complexity of life, and um, notably also platonic love, not also not only uh, romantic and sexual love, but platonic love. And um, generally speaking, he focused on themes of faith in God and women. Um, and he had for the time a revolutionary diction and language because he was the first after the metaphor, after the, sorry, uh, after the Elizabethans who used this metaphysical way of writing. Um, yeah, he was critical of the society in earlier poetry, um, used his striking imagery and the sophistication for being critical. And uh, yeah, to me, it always sounded quite dense. Um, <laughs> so uh, when we say that the metaphysicals used ordinary speech, it's not to be confused with being easy. Uh, it's, I mean, it's ordinary speech in comparison to things that had done before in poetry. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's not ordinary speech as we would read it now. Neither is it with the romantics, I mean, or any poetry, really. Yeah. Well, other, um, other poets that can be counted under metaphysical are, for example, Andrew Marvell and George Herbert. There are more, but let's not overcomplicate matters. You mentioned um, Easter Wings, um, the poem that is arranged in the form of wings, and that is by George Herbert. Um, he was known for, for um, publishing visually pleasing poetry. For example, those Easter Wings. And what I find interesting about him is that he was known for being a kind person. Um, I, I find it extraordinary because we're talking about things 400 years ago. And if you can manage to be known as a nice person 400 years after, you must have been really nice. Or you must have had friends who published things about you. Maybe he had both. Um, Henry Vaughan, another metaphysical poet, said about George Herbert that he was a most glorious saint and seer. Um, he was known for caring for his parish. He was a priest. Um, well, after he sat in Parliament. First he started to become a priest, then he interrupted that, sat in Parliament, then he became a priest. <laughs> and as a priest, yeah. he was known for uh, deeply caring for his parish and uh, providing the sacraments to the people and food and clothing with the utmost care, apparently. Um, I just find that a very interesting detail that he was known for being nice to people. Um, I mean, there's worse things. There's worse things. I mean, we're also talking about the the uh, era of the English Civil War and Restoration. So maybe you didn't have to be that kind to be known. Yeah, I mean, it's better than some others. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to get into that in a moment. Yeah. Well, let's quickly... <laughs> uh, Close my monologue with Andrew Marvell. He also sat in the um, House of Commons. He wrote poems such as The Love Song to His Coy Mistress, another one of those titles that I had read somewhere before I knew. Yeah, I remember that too. Who it was but... from. Um, but he also wrote political addresses. Um, and uh, yeah, he was the son of the of a Church of England clergyman. So he was also one of those that had a very deeply religious background. And his first poems were in Latin and Greek. Uh, I haven't read his poems in Latin and Greek. I can't even read Latin and Greek. I mean... well, yeah, I didn't want to say like that. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and yeah, I, I mentioned the English uh, Civil War here and he he had a um, more or less turbulent time with that. Well, I said all people at the time, but he was a royalist at first. Um, I think he even wrote a poem about the, the, uh, the king and queen's child being born, which must have been the later Charles II. Um, so he was a royalist, but then he sympathized with the interregnum regime. Um, Charles I was beheaded in, 1649 and yeah. after that Oliver Cromwell reigned um, and this period is called the interregnum and 
Andrew Marvell sympathized with the changing regimes during the interregnum eventually, um, but, he, but he barely avoided punishment after the restoration because monarchy was restored and mm. well, they punished people. Eventually they just punished the ones that had signed the death warrant, but well, but by death, they only punished those by death. <laughs> uh, you still have to be careful. Um, but he, he avoided punishment after the restoration and he also uh, convinced Charles II's government not to execute John Milton. Ah. He was very close to John Milton. He was his assistant because John Milton had gone blind. And Andrew Marvell, um, well, assisted John Milton not only in his writings, but also in not getting executed. Very nice. Well, um, I think I'll take over now because yeah. else you'll go on talking. Oh, I won't. I have nothing more to add. I mean, you never know. Well, um, I did mention Coleridge before, and um, yeah, so I'm not going to repeat that again, but um, Wordsworth, um, well, he and Coleridge did um, found the Romantic movement in Britain. Um, Wordsworth lived from 1770 to 1850, um, so he was quite old, and um, he, uh, Coleridge and Wordsworth's sister, um, Dorothy Wordsworth, well, she wasn't known as a romantic poet, but she should be known as a romantic poet because she wrote. Um, and she was really good. And they were known as the first wave poets, sort of, and or are known as the first wave poets because um, they were the first to do this. They were the so-called lake poets. Um, so Wordsworth had a house in the Lake District, I think, and they took uh, walks there a lot, which we know um, from his sister Dorothy's diaries and so on, and accounts and letters and so on. Um, and Wordsworth is probably best known for um, his poem, I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud, which oh, yeah. I'm going to read out now, but... <laughs> Yeah, and um, then his sister Dorothy, um, as I have mentioned, she was a po poet in her own right and a writer and a diarist. And she was a year younger um, and she died in 1855. So she was quite old as well. Um, and she was very close with her brother and she was also always there when the lake poets met there and went yeah. for walks and she wrote stuff herself and was quite influenced by that herself. Um, and then there is the so-called second wave of the uh, poets. The well, the first wave was very was very much into the movement of the French Revolution that was going on right, right then, um, when they were young men, younger than us now. Um, well, they were very in, into that and very uh, interested by that. And the second group of them was born either, well, Byron was born in 1788, so he was barely a toddler when the French Revolution started. And um, 
he was also royal, so I mean, he probably didn't. I mean, he wasn't royal; he was noble. But you know, he didn't really want yeah that kind of stuff to happen. I mean, he couldn't have because, well, I would have been stupid. Um, anyway, and then um, Shelley, Keats, and Mary Shelley um, were all born in the nineties of the 1700s so um they were born after the french revolution had happened and i mean it was still sort of going on but they didn't really i mean they grew up with it with a knowledge of it and they were very political yes and um mary shelley's parents were both um both writers and both very political and very influential people and um, also very much revolutionaries. So yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> all of them were known for um, writing in a certain um, way in which they, well, they preferred the feeling to the form. They or rather told people they preferred the feeling to the form. And um, well, while they did write poetry, Byron, um, Polidori, and um, Mary Shelley did end up writing. Um, well, are they novels? Is Frankenstein, is Frankenstein a novel? Yeah. Well, then they wrote very famous novels, and Polidori was the vampire. I think. I don't know. I mean, they they Polidori was um, Lord Byron's. Um, personal doctor I think and um, also a good friend and um, in 1816 there was the summer well the year without a summer yeah because was it the Krakatoa that had erupted and um, so there was an ash cloud so bad um, in the air well it wasn't a problem for the people technically they could breathe fine but the Krakatoa, when it erupted, um, apparently that was such a loud boom that you could hear it miles away, hundreds of miles away. So that was a, you know, big deal. And the ash um, made sure that there wasn't really, really a summer. And so it was cold. They were in Switzerland and in a house and Byron, Mary Shelley and Polidori were well, basically sitting there and it was cold and rainy and ugh. And um, then they started writing ghost stories. And um, well, that's what we know them for as well. So they didn't just write um, really lovely, sort of romantic wasn't a thing, um, not the romantic thing from now. So that's, I think, what I've tried to say. <laughs> yeah and also it's romantic with a capital r yes oh yeah with the romantics it's very easy to get confused with everyday language saying romantic mm. i mean because yeah. you can literally be a romantic if you are literally metaphysical you have a problem um, <laughs> yeah true but um oh and you said um that who was it herbert was known for being a nice guy basically um, yes. Well, Lord Byron was known for uh, shagging his sister, so 
dear. That's a good thing. That's why he was in Switzerland in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, they, they were also advocates of free love, which is, um, well, not a bad idea, but in that time, kind of a bad idea. You can take it a bit too far with the free love. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, so we did write down a bunch of um, questions for one another. Yes. Um, and before we talk, I don't know how long again, we should do that now. Should I uh, start with one observation I made that may influence our questions? Oh, do that. Um, <laughs> Because you mentioned that we both write poetry and the realization I thought I had was that you write, at, le at least it seems to me, you write sort of like a romantic poet. I write more like a metaphysical poet. It's of true. course, this is a generalization. We, we can't fit perfectly into the puzzle. They themselves didn't fit perfectly always. But I have a feeling that not... <laughs> necessarily how the poetry looks but how we write um oh yeah i i think you have this spontaneous outflow you have a thought you have emotions you write it down and it is a poem yeah. i have a thought and i think in what kind of rhyme could i put that <laughs> and, i i don't even use rhymes that much i mean yeah, i do use and i them, always but... use rhymes and i think oh yeah these rhymes i'm going to use and that doesn't mean that my poetry is not emotional. That doesn't mean that yours doesn't have a nice form. But that means that is the first thing we latch on to, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know I was inspired by the romantics to even start writing. Yeah. And so, I know I was inspired by Shakespeare and probably the guys who came later. Yeah, so... I literally I mean, see it as a puzzle when I write. <laughs> I, I don't. I see it as my feelings need to get out. I can't contain them. I need to write them down because otherwise I'm just going to explode. And, and I see it as I need to complete this puzzle to put my feelings into it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm also a person with uh, severe anger management problems, which you wouldn't think, I think, but... I'm also clumsy. Um, I once wrote a very spontaneous poem. My only romantic poem was written um, when there was a big storm at university and I was stuck there with my best friend Hannah. Shout out to Hannah. And I was so angry that I wrote a poem. And it's a two-page thing. And I even used an expletive. <laughs> was, was that by any chance in the summer term 2018, this storm? Probably. Because I had a it course with Mr. Dow, our very, very favorite, um, very much favorite lecturer. Um, and we were reading Macbeth. Oh, that's nice. And we were reading the very first scene um, mm. in th pairs of three. And my group was a bit, well, um, we were later, we, we had started later and the windows were all open and there was a storm brewing and we were reading these verses and suddenly, you know, we were reading these verses out loud, the three of us together. Suddenly there was a very big wind and thunder and lightning and we were like, okay. So yeah. yeah. Okay, the questions. Um, who would we like to have tea with? 
from the metaphysicals or romantics? I mean, I think you're going to answer about the metaphysicals and I'm going to answer about the romantics, but yeah. I'll try to. <laughs> I honestly wasn't too sure about that. Um, because I honestly don't know if my interests would meet their interests much. I'm not that big of a clergy person. I'm also not that much of a government person. Um, poetry is one of my interests, so I would, I would probably get along with them. Um, or you wouldn't, or because else you're a woman. And always choose done. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, if I had to choose between the three I mentioned. I would probably choose Herbert because he was allegedly known for being such a nice guy and I can't fathom that. Um, and I don't know if we would talk about their poetry that could become a pressure point. <laughs> well, um, I think I probably would choose John Keats. Um, for, I mean, to have tea with. Because I, I mean, I personally don't know that much about Keats. Keats died at age 25. Um, so, you know, we don't know how he would have become as a writer and as a person, yeah. what he would have done. But um, I've read some of his poetry and I've seen a film about him and I've read a bit about him as well. And um, he just seems, in, in the way he's portrayed or written about or writes himself, um, he seems to be very similar to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a feeling I have. He, he seems to be someone who doesn't understand feeling. He doesn't understand people and he needs to write. He doesn't really care about, mar you know, marketing anything. And... Um, yeah, so that that's how I feel about it. I don't even know if that's com a completely true thing, but it's a true feeling, which is a very big deal for the romantics. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you mean, though. Yeah, I don't know too much about the romantics, but well, I mean, also one person I I wouldn't mind hanging out with would probably be Dorothy Wordsworth. Because a woman writer is always an, you know, it's always interesting to to talk to someone from a time where that wasn't really normal. Probably, yeah. Um, and um, yeah. <laughs> also, she isn't mentioned anywhere unless it's like letters or something by her brother. She's never really mentioned in history books. So that would be a reason to have tea with her and talk about stuff. Because, yeah, she, she probably knew a lot of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One addition I have is that I would probably realistically settle on Andrew Marvell. Not Dunn or Herbert. <laughs> I know I've gone through all three of them. But I remember that he was a tutor to a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, then, then. And I mean, yeah, teachers. <laughs> <laughs> and he he seems like an interesting person 
Um, I don't know if any of them was particularly nice, apart from Herbert, maybe. I mean, um, <laughs> but Herbert could have Herbert could have been a right ass. He could have been. He, he might have been a disappointment. I, I can't mean, he, go for the nicest guy and be disappointed because he's an ass. So I go he, for Andrew Marvell, who had an interesting life, and I can ask him about that. <laughs> well, at least that, yeah. Um, what I did write down as, I think, the last question that we didn't really talk about yet. Well, we did talk about it partly. Which of the romantic slash metaphysicals would like us? Whom would we like and why? Um, I think Don would... Tear me to pieces poetically. Yeah, but also um, we did say to talk about the other. So uh, basically, I I agree with you. Dunn would probably tear you to pieces. Um, <laughs> I don't know if if Herbert wasn't a misogynistic ass, he probably and he was nice. I mean, and very probably devotional. Hmm? and very devotional. Yeah, well, doesn't always have to be a good thing. Yeah, but it could always sound nice and <laughs> still be mean. Yeah. Who who do you think would would like me from the romantics? <laughs> well, if I say Lord Byron, that doesn't mean anything. Um... <laughs> Lord Byron, I think he liked pretty much anyone exactly who'd, who'd look up to him but i don't really look up to him so maybe he would be intrigued by you because you wouldn't look up at him i mean mary shelley i think she didn't really look up to him that much either and they became really good friends so because she did i mean he had a shit handwriting um so she had to copy his work um before sending it to his publisher so they kind of they couldn't have hated each other that much. Um, but I think Byron is also, I mean, he shagged anyone, honestly. Yeah. He had so many kids out of marriage. It's ge genuinely, but he looked after all of them if he could. And, you know, that's not too shitty a thing. But again, I don't know if I would, nah. Yeah, I think John Keats would probably like you. I'm not an expert by any means on Keats, but... Neither am I. <laughs> yeah, I have heard that uh, he was... Well, that maybe he knew he was going to die. Mm -hmm. um, and he was very reflected and sensible or sensitive. And um, you said earlier that you felt similar to him. So he might have latched on to that and seen something similar in you and um also he was um surrounded by death the whole time i think his i don't know if he was his younger brother but i think his younger brother died in his care yeah so, and i mean i've seen a lot of death in the last two years so that, so that might have been something similar there yeah so I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's all assume they would drink tea. They probably would. <laughs> they probably would. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think actually, 
we are at about 40 minutes now. And if we go on talking, we're never going to stop. So we're talking, we'll become metaphysical. So oh dear, I mean, I do think that the romantics. I mean, they did similar things. They exchanged poetry, and they, but what they did was also they performed poetry in front of each other. They would, I don't know, meet up, and then they would just perform. And I mean. We do do that sometimes, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Okay. A thought that I had earlier that I do need to say because I, I don't know. I uh, I did say that I didn't really look up to Byron. I do not really look up to Byron because I think as a writer myself, I cannot really admire someone else who's a writer. And that's something I think Hemingway would applaud this. Um, um, anyway, I, I don't think I can really look up to someone else like that who's a writer. I can say, yeah, it's a good style. I like this. I don't, I don't you know, I like reading it. But I can't say, yeah. I look up to this. I want to be this. I don't. I sort of get it. Although I have in the other direction sometimes that I read a poem and I think oh I don't particularly like this but then I find a stylistic device that is really clever and I think, oh that's nice of you well done you well done John and then I remember that it's one of the <laughs> one of the best known poets I'm talking to in my head and I'm not their teacher but <laughs> yeah but so you're going to become a teacher so <laughs> yeah Anyway, I admire them, but um, and that's why I, I get what you mean. Hmm. So I would say that's that from us for this time. Yeah. And we in a fortnight. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uni has started. Um, so, yeah. Have a good two weeks or whatever until or five minutes or whenever you're going to listen this to this or to the other thing or whatever. The future. <laughs> yeah. See you in the future. Until the future. <laughs>